Take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of James chapter 3. James chapter 3. We're going to be looking today, as Jeff's already talked about, about the difference between earthly, worldly wisdom and the wisdom of God. I'm really excited about the message we have. I was a... Um, I was looking through Twitter earlier this week and I saw a quote that was interesting to me, a quote that kind of stood out to me. And this was what someone on Twitter wrote. They wrote this. I've never in my life trusted anything as much as I trust Waze. Now, do you know what Waze is? Right? Waze is a GPS app. So maybe yours is not Waze. Maybe yours is Google Maps or Apple Maps or some other brand. I don't know. Maybe some of you still use a MapQuest. I don't know. Like some of you have never heard of MapQuest. That's all right. But GPS has become the thing that gets me wherever I go. Like last night, Susan and I, we went to eat with some friends, a good friend of mine from as long as I can remember, literally, we've been friends since we were three or four. We have birthday about two weeks apart. And so we uh, met in the middle to have a birthday celebration right in the middle of our two birthdays. And we had a restaurant, one of my favorite restaurants, Uncle Julio's. I loved it. And we were in Texas down in Brentwood. Just put it in the GPS, took off going and never questioned for a minute that Waze was going to take me the right place. Right. I just put it in, I put it up on my dashboard, I get it going through the Bluetooth in my car, and I just go like I'm the most confident person in the world with Waze. First time I ever used Waze was Los Angeles, California. Anybody ever here ever driven in Los Angeles, California? I see those hands. We'll have a support group afterwards, all right? I got in a church, first time I ever drove in Los Angeles, California, I'm driving a 15-passenger van full of youth. We were on a mission trip out there. Jeff, we, Jeff and I had been out there earlier. Jeff had put his name on the car thing, so he had driven everywhere. I get in the van, I put Waze on, and I start going, and I don't have a clue where I am, but I'm driving like I'm the most confident man that has ever been. Like, yeah, we're going to take the, the 210 up here, we're going to go down to the 5, we're going to work across there, then we're going to get through here. Oh, we're going to take a detour off of this lane, get over, go through some of this downtown stuff. Yeah, I didn't know we were going by the L.A. Coliseum either. Look, kids, that's was something I heard about in a 90s rap song. That's awesome. Let's just, please don't do anything to your parents right now where we are. Let's just keep going. And it could have taken me anywhere it wanted to go. I was trusting it. Maps used to not always be as secure. You didn't always know that the map you had was exactly like it was supposed to be. Uh, you know, even the maps that I grew up with, the Rand McNally nap maps that were in the big uh, fold out thing, you get it in the front seat and you'd fold it out and you're navigating and could never fold it back up like it was supposed to be. And you'd trust it completely. But there was a time when they didn't know if their maps were accurate. And sometimes if you followed an inaccurate map, you could be costly, disastrous, or even fatal. I was reading this story this week of this man. His name is Lieutenant George Washington DeLong. He was a naval officer, and in 1879, aboard the USS Jeannette, he determined he was going to sail to the North Pole, put the American flag on it, and claim the North Pole for the United States of America. When I envision him leaving San Francisco Harbor, I envision the star-spangled banner being played and flags waving, but that's really not what happened. He had not been sanctioned to do this by the U.S. government. It was just a thing he was doing on his own. 
But he had gathered together these maps that he was going to go because there was this theory that even though there was a lot of ice in the north, up in the North Pole, that there, if you broke through enough of the ice, then there was this sea that was just open and teeming with wildlife that nobody had ever seen. And if you got there, you had discovered something new and you could claim it for the United States. This was in the era of exploration that was going on. So in 1879, he sets out with his crew. He goes through, and there was a certain way around the Bering Strait. After that, you got through the ice caps. And it all three of these, uh, he had three maps. And all the cartographers of those maps had said that this is the spot. When you get there, you're going to break through and be in this open sea straight to the North Pole. So he got to that spot, and he broke through that spot. And guess what? There was more ice. And he realized pretty quickly there was no open sea to the North Pole. And his boat was trapped. Ice had moved behind him. It was now trapped. He couldn't go back the way he had gone. And so he went in a different direction, ended up in Siberia. Here's what I want to tell you. I don't know a lot about Siberia. That's not where I want to end up. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord? Some of his crew got lost. Boats never been found. He died in Siberia in 1881, covered in ice and snow, one hand sticking out, trying to hold something to flare down somebody if they came by. If you took the wrong map, the results were disastrous. The point of the sermon today is that there are two kinds of wisdom out there. There is the way of the world, the wisdom of the world, and the wisdom of God. And for many of us in this room, it is very easy for us to begin to walk towards the way of wisdom of the world. And it leads us to places that we can't get out of and has a disastrous or fatal ending. And what we have to be able to do is to discern which is which. Now you say, well, that kind of thing would never happen today because today if you needed an answer to a question or you needed a map, you just Google it. You just look for it. You'd find it. We've got all updated maps. That kind of thing would never happen. And it is true that we have more information today than we have ever had. The problem is with all of our access to knowledge, our wisdom quotient hasn't gone up. And there is a difference between knowledge and wisdom. I mean, sitting where you are, most of you in this room, and I'm not encouraging to do this, if I were to ask the most obscure question possible, you could, in a few seconds, find the answer with a device in your hand. But that doesn't mean we know how to use the information that we've been giving. In fact, in some ways, we are drowning in information without any clear solution on how to live what we know. And so what are we going to do with wisdom? Well, chapter 3 of the book of James gives them some very practical understanding to, to ask the question, which is of God and which is of the world? Look at what it says, starting in chapter 13. This is James chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Now remember where we've been through the book of James. The whole book has been building to this idea that your faith in God must show itself in your actions. He started by talking about even in the midst of the trials that you're in, that to make it through those trials, you're going to have to have faith in God and God will develop your character. To to make it through temptation, he talks about next. You've got to be able to depend on God in the midst of that. He talks about being a doer of the work, not just somebody that does the word occasionally, but that has a lifestyle of doing. He talks about not showing favoritism, that that's part of what it means to follow the Lord and that our faith must give itself in works, that we aren't 
saved by works, but the way we show that we are saved is through our works. And then last week, probably the most difficult of that is controlling our tongue, but that is evidence of our faith. And so what he's going to do now in this chapter, in this part about wisdom, is he's going to say, now here's the thing about wisdom. If you want to show that you are faithfully serving God, if you want to show that your faith is real, you're going to display the wisdom of God, not the wisdom of man. Verse 13. So who among you is wise and understanding? It's a rhetorical question. He's offering for anybody to come and present their case. He is offering for anyone to say, hey, listen, I think I'm wise or I think I understand some things. And he says, by his good conduct, he shows it. You don't have to tell me. Show me. Seems to be a theme in James, right? You tell me you have faith. I'll show you I have faith. He says, if you want to tell me that you're wise, let me see it by your good conduct. Through your works that are done in gentleness that comes from wisdom. And then he says to him, and if you come to me with any bitter envy or selfish ambition in your heart, you're denying the truth. Don't boast. Don't say you're wise if that's in you. Verse 15. Such wisdom does not come down from above. And this is where James, he's not a guy that pulls punches. He's a guy that gives us full force. And this is where he gives full force. He says, some of you are here today. You're in the church. This is written to the church. You think you're wise. You think you understand. But you have a selfish ambition. You have bitter envy in your heart. And when you come before me with that, that is not wisdom. That is something that is earthly, he says in verse 15, unspiritual and demonic. Verse 16. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. But, here's the contrast. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. Now, in just a moment, we're going to break down that passage of Scripture with three points that I want you to see. But before we get there, I want to give you some foundational understanding that you must have before we even get into a discussion about the wisdom of God. Two foundational truths that are biblical, that are throughout the Bible, that help us to understand why wisdom is such an important concept and what is being talked about here. And the first of those foundational truths is this. You are not the point... What do you mean by that, Lyle? You are not the point of your existence. You are not the center of the universe. You are not what life is all about. Rick Warren in his book, Purpose Driven Life, says it's not about you as the opening line. You're not the point of the universe. God is. In fact, you are not the point of God's existence. God is for God first and foremost, above all else. And that's important. It's hard because here's the reality in my life. I want to be the point. Right? I want life to center around me. When I get on the road and I'm driving downtown to Nashville, I expect every other driver to understand how important my task is for that day and that I need to get down there. And if they would just clear the roads, if politely, it would be great. I won't ask you to confess to this out loud, but anybody here ever driven by, let's say, a wreck that's held you up on 65, maybe for a little longer than you wanted to be held up, which is any time at all, and as you've driven by the wreck, you've had this thought in your mind, didn't they know what I had to get to today? You know what I'm saying? And then you're sitting there watching somebody whose car maybe 
severely damaged, and you're like, man, they didn't even think about me. Right? I mean, you may not, like I said, we're in church, we may not want to say that out loud, but they didn't think about me. When I come home from work in the afternoon, I expect, I want Susan to understand how hard of a day it's been. My kids to understand how hard of a day it's been. And when I walk in that door, they are like, oh, what can we do for you? Yeah, that don't happen. Amen. But you know what I mean, right? Somebody starts to tell you about their bad day. What are you thinking? Oh, if you only knew. In fact, some of you, while they're telling you about their bad day, in your mind, you're thinking about your bad day. About what's going on there. About what happened to you. You ever, we'll ask it this way. You, you ever been like the third person in a conversation of two people trying to one-up each other on how bad their day has been? Oh, well, I'm, I'm sure that was bad. But let me tell you about me. Because we want to be the point. Right? We think the world centers around us or as it should. But reality is we're not. Even in God's own mind, God is first. In our mind, God should be first. There is a... um, this thing called the Westminster Catechism, and it is written to help teach the faith in basics through question and answers. And somebody asked, what's the chief end of man? And at the end, the response is that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And there's an author, a pastor named John Piper, who said, but that's not only the chief end of man, that's the chief end of God. That the chief end of God is to glorify God and enjoy his presence forever. And when we think that we are any way or part of the point, we miss it. It's throughout Scripture. You think about one of the most comforting chapters in Scripture is Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Makes me lie down by green pastures, restores my souls. He leads me through paths of righteousness. Now, doesn't that sound like a good God that is taking care of His people, that has us at the center of His attention? The Lord's my shepherd. He's taking care of me. He's putting me down in the field where I can rest. He's putting me beside waters I'm not scared of. I can drink all that I want to. He's restoring my life, my soul. Man, He is taking care of me. He is putting me in the right places. He puts me in the paths of righteousness. He shows me which way to go. That is a good God thinking about me. But what does it say? How does that verse continue? He puts me in the paths of righteousness for For what reason? For his name's sake. It's for his glory. And part of what we have to get to understand is, we're going to talk about worldly wisdom in a minute and the self-centeredness of that. What we have to understand is every piece of wisdom that comes that puts us at the center of our well-being or what ought to happen or how we live is not wisdom from above. And we got lots of that around. There has never been a time in the history of the world when you have had more self-help stuff available to you. How do I put it on, in, online and see if you can find out? Go to Google and find out how you, whatever. How do I become? How do I do? How do I live? How do I? And here's the issue that comes to us. The more we live with us as the point of our lives, the more miserable we will be. Now here's the second truth i want you to understand not only that we are not the point but the second thing is this god has designed the world and established a way that works 
He has established a way that works and that if we live in that way, that is the way our life is intended to be. He set it up. It is for his glory. It is for him. And he has a way that works. There is a way in the heart of man that seems right. But in the end, it is like the map that led to the North Pole. It ends in destruction is what it says. We think we know. Even Goodlettsville's own Garth Brooks knows that we don't always know the right thing to ask for. Because some of God's greatest gifts. Nobody wanted to sing that for me? Unanswered? I'm not going to sing it for you. Y'all know me. I'm not singing it. Our unanswered prayers. Right now, Garth isn't the greatest theologian around. Hope he's not in here right now. That's all right. He has been. So So we're not there. All right. But what he's saying is true that we don't know what's right for us. God knows the right way. And when we live in that, that is true wisdom. Now, the way James described it in verse 13 of chapter 3 is that God's wisdom is something that will flow from our lives when we are in a right relationship with him. The first thing that we see in this passage directly is that true wisdom, wisdom from on high, true wisdom of God is wisdom that is demonstrated. Verse 13, he says, who wants to say that they're wise and understanding? Who wants to stand up and say, I'm wise. I can live out my life. I don't just have knowledge. I know how to live according to God's law. I know how to live according to the best practices of God. I know how to live. It says, whoever is that is going to do two things. First of all, it's going to display, demonstrate who we are, demonstrate wisdom by our actions. Someone has said that wisdom is not measured by degrees, but by deeds. In other words, knowledge is the accumulation of information. Wisdom is the application of that information. We live in a world where people have lots of information and very little application of it in the right ways. So knowledge and wisdom are opposite, not opposite, they're related, but they're completely different. You get knowledge, but then you have to apply it. So, for instance, let's say that Wednesday, you've got scheduled a heart surgery. And you've got two options for a doctor. You've got a guy that has memorized the textbook on heart surgery. He has watched YouTube videos for hours on heart surgery. He has sat through 18 hours of classes this month on heart surgery, but he's never done a heart surgery. Or you can choose the guy that's got a degree from a decent university but has done heart surgeries for the last 20 years and has never lost anyone on the table. Who are you choosing? You're going to choose who? The second one, right? Because you want the guy with application experience. You don't want the book knowledge. Wisdom is demonstrated by what we do. It's also demonstrated by the attitude in which we do it. He makes a turn here. He says his good conduct, he should show that his works are done. And then he says, and he'll do it in gentleness. That wisdom leads us to gentleness. Now, here's what I want you to know. In his day and age, gentleness was not looked highly upon. In our day and age, gentleness is not looked highly upon. And in their day, they would not have thought, oh, yeah, you're right about that. They would have said, you're talking about what? Meekness? Gentleness? Gentleness, meekness, humility were considered weak. And he says, but the one who is following God's plan is going to show it by what they do and the attitude in which they do it. 
Warren Wearsby says, Truly wise believers do not need to advertise the fact that they are wise. You will see it expressed in their daily life and in the attitude in which they live. Jesus told us in Matthew 5, 5, Blessed are the meek, blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. So James here is not only talking about the difference in information and wisdom, he's talking about how we live it out. And then he's going to compare two kinds of wisdom. What he wants us to be able to do is, first of all, be able to identify, to recognize, and then to deny worldly wisdom. He says it right there in verse 14. Worldly wisdom is motivated by selfishness. Verse 14. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. He's talking about a person who's actually trying to get ahead, that's actually trying to work forward, that's actually trying to do things to make himself look better, that's promoting himself. Maybe it's not promoting yourself to get a better job, but it's to be better looked at in the community, better looked at in the church, that your goal is not actually to serve and do what God calls you to do. You just want people to like you or respect you or say, man, that's a strong Christian. It's self-motivated. He says that that is worldly wisdom. One pastor says that a Christian who is proud, boasting, self-centered, loveless, and arrogant is a fraud. He cannot be a follower of Jesus Christ. Selfish ambition is doing whatever it takes to gain personal glory, personal gratification, personal achievement. It's doing whatever it means to get ahead in the world. Our pattern should be more like what Philippians 2 talks about, that we should do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, that we should look at the others and consider theirs ahead of ours, their needs ahead of our own needs. We should think about their interests before us. And it says the reason we do that is because the Savior we serve is a man who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead gave that up to come, to live, to die for you and for me. Anytime as you're thinking about wisdom, you're thinking about living and you're thinking about it selfishly, then you are not living according to God's word. But then James ratchets it up. He says it's not only comes out of a selfish place, it also is, and he uses strange language or strong language here to say that it is literally evil. That this worldly wisdom is characterized by evil. He gives three characteristics here. He says, first of all, that where there is envy, or excuse me, such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly. It is of this world. It promotes perspectives of this world. Perspectives like get all you can while you can because you don't know how long you're going to be here. It's my way or the highway. Look out for number one. Those saturate who we are. Fulfill your life. Be who you are. Let it fly. Whatever you are, just be that. All in for that. Don't worry about whatever else is telling you. Don't worry about standards. Don't worry about morals. You just be you. Because what's most important at the end of the day is you. That's what the world tells us. It's earthly. Another way to think of the word earthly here is any kind of forces that are aligned against God. And that we live in a culture that has literally aligned itself against God. And that's why living in this culture, we can't assume what they often assume about wisdom. In our day and age, it's often assumed that wisdom just means that you have age plus experience and that equals wisdom. If you're older and you've been through a lot, you must have lots of wisdom. But if it was older, been through a lot without the perspective of Jesus Christ in your life or how God would want you to live, you've got the wrong kind of wisdom. 
And you need to be able to live according to God's plan for our lives. That's kind of wisdom that led people to build a tower in Genesis 11 that said, come, let us build to the sky and make a name for ourselves. He says it's not only earthly, that it is unspiritual. That's what he says next, right? That there is, it's a wisdom that is earthly, unspiritual. It means devoid completely from the nature of God, from the spirit of God, from what God is doing in our lives. It speaks to the inclinations of man to make everything natural. We just react to desires in our lives. We act to the anger in our lives. We just do what we feel like doing at the moment because that's all we know to do. But it says that a true wisdom is going to be spiritual in nature. And then he drops the hammer. He says not only is it earthly not only is it unspiritual it is demonic and the claim here is that all selfish ambition comes from the evil one himself john 8:44 says satan was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And from the very beginning, he's been trying to convince God's people that God is against us and that we must take care of ourselves or God will not do it. James says that kind of wisdom, the one that is unspiritual, that is earthly, that is demonic, leads to absolute chaos. Consider the results if everybody in our world was truly looking out for only their interest. Relationships would tear apart. Lawsuits, divorce, racial, social, ethnic, economic divisions. It's not that hard to imagine because it is a lot of what we see in our world today. Where the world has told us, you go after you. You go after what you are. You go after who you are. You go after your desires. And don't worry about anybody else. Don't worry what they think. Don't worry what they say. Now, listen, there are places and ways that that can be misconstrued, that authority has been overused and not used in a proper manner. But this idea that we know what's best inside of us is completely from the pit of hell. There is a way in the heart of man that seems right, but in the end leads to destruction. So what does godly wisdom look like? He gives us a few characteristics of that. Verse 17 says this, but the wisdom from above is first pure. So if we're going to live the life that God wants us to, we must also be able to recognize and to um, go with or to follow the wisdom of God. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and evil practice. But, verse 17, the wisdom from above is first pure. The word pure there means pure. It means free from containment, free from defilement, free from contamination, free from anything that would cause it to be impure. It comes from the root word that means holy. It's a holy wisdom. It comes from above. It has sincere motives. It's seeking and obeying God. It's obedience motivated by a new life in Christ. It is pure. Secondly, godly wisdom or wisdom from above is characterized by holiness. It tells us in verse 17 of all these characteristics of what godly wisdom looks like. It's peace-loving. It loves and seeks peace with God and with others. It's gentle. It's considerate of others, not combative. It's compliant. It's teachable. It's willing to learn. It's able to be instructed, able to be corrected. It submits to godly leadership. It's full of mercy and good fruits. It's charitable with our time, with our talents, with our treasure. We're volunteering. We're giving. We're free in giving. 
It's unwavering in our commitment. We are not going anywhere. It's without pretense. It's impartial. It means that we are saying what we mean, meaning what we say. We are sincere without hypocrisy, with a heart fully set on God. True wisdom, it says, is living our lives at the character of God. And this is all motivated by the character of God. Living our lives in relationship to God's character and showing it to the world. And it brings about peace. True peace is only found in the character and the righteousness of God. We have to understand when it talks about peacemaking there at the end, when it says the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace, we have to understand that the concept of peace in the Old Testament was this word shalom, and it meant to be whole, it meant to be healthy, it meant to be complete. It meant not just the absence of conflict, but that it was characterized by a relationship with God that was good and flowing, and a relationship with others that was right. Intimately linked to the peaceful characteristic of God who went literally over the depths of time and space to send his son in the form of a human in order to bring peace back with us. He is a peacemaker. He is a cultivator of peace. So the contrast is there. A worldly wisdom that is based completely on selfish ambition and getting what's for us and a wisdom from God that is completely dedicated to him. So as we get ready to leave today, I want to ask the question, so how do we develop godly wisdom in our lives? I can't give you the answer to every dilemma. I heard as Jeff was talking, many of you in this room um, probably have questions about, man, I won't need the wisdom of God in this relationship or in this situation or at school in this or in business at that or in my family life this, with my kids, with my parents, with whatever's going on, any godly wisdom here. And I can't give you a specific answer for each of those issues, but I can give you the ways to develop godly wisdom in your life in three simple ways. First of all, we must have an ever-growing understanding of the God of the Bible. You must study God's word for the purpose of learning who God is and what he is like. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You want to know how you are going to do the good works that show that you have the peace of God, the wisdom of God in your life? Then you must know it from God's word. You have to be reading God's word. You have to be studying God's word. You have to be looking into God's word for the character of God, who he is. Secondly, you must walk in community. So trust God's word, ever-growing understanding of the God of the Bible. Walk in community with other people. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, Without guidance, a people will fall, but with many counselors, there is deliverance. Find people around you. All of us in our lives have blind spots. You need to be with people that are willing to point out your blind spots, that are willing to say, man, you really struggle in this area. I don't think you meant that the way it came off. Or have you thought about this? Or you, the way you said that to that person really didn't, wasn't a healthy way. Find some people that are actively pursuing God together. Now, if you want to get around a bunch of people that are half-hearted with their commitment to the Lord or kind of committed to the Lord, you're probably going to end up half-hearted in your commitment to the Lord or kind of committed to the Lord. You need to be around people that are 100% going after the Lord to see your faith grow. And here's the last thing, and then we're done. Abide in Jesus. John fifteen five. he's getting ready to go to the cross and he says to his followers, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. You cannot have the wisdom of God without a relationship with Jesus Christ that is growing.
That comes from community. That comes from studying God's Word. It also comes from your prayer life and seeking the Lord on your own time. If you're here and you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, you don't have a relationship with Him, then every bit of your wisdom that you're living out in a daily life is wisdom of the world because godly wisdom only comes through relationship with Jesus. If you're here today and you've never done that, there is no better opportunity to trust the Lord than now. Let's pray together.